Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. It's our prayer that this message will be both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith. Due to the coronavirus pandemic, until further notice, we are not meeting physically in the church building and instead are live streaming our worship service on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We hope you will join us either on our website or on our Facebook page for worship. Now, here is this week's message. So I don't know about you, but I'll be quite frank, I am tired of what's going on. I'm tired of this virus. I'm tired of my favorite stores being closed. I'm tired of my kids being home all day. I'm tired of the beach being closed. I'm tired of not being able to get a haircut. But most of all, I am tired to preaching to an almost empty sanctuary. If you didn't know that this is a preacher's worst nightmare, that nobody comes when he preaches. And this is six, this is the fifth week in a row. I mean, just think about it. Six weeks ago, our life was pretty normal. I mean, we all heard about the virus, but we weren't sure what was going to happen. And then all of a sudden, our lives are turned around and flipped upside down. I mean, the stats show that 22 million people have lost their job. I saw one article that said this entire pandemic has wiped out 10 years of economic gain. And I mean, seniors? Seniors are missing their prom. Many of the seniors, this is their last year of sports and it's gone. I mean, seniors, we, I mean, we feel for you. And from everything I've seen, we got about two, at least two more weeks to go. And from here on out, each state gets to decide what happens. And my plea, my plea as a parent, well, well, first, before I get there, just understand I'm always extremely concerned about my kids' safety. Listen, I make my kids wear helmets. I never wore a helmet. I make them wear shoes outside. I never wore shoes outside. I make them put up traffic cones in the road before they ride their bikes so everybody can see them. I mean, I'm extremely concerned about their safety. However, as a parent, please send my kids back to school because no matter what, I have to risk something. It's either my wife's sanity or my kid's safety. And sorry, kids, I've known her longer. So please, please give them something to do. But it's only been five weeks. Imagine if they were to come out to say that we're going to go through this for another two months. Imagine if they said it was going to be another six months. Imagine if they predicted that this was going to go on for three and a half years. How would you feel? How worried and concerned would you be? You see, that's the setting of the story we find ourselves in today. You see, the northern tribe of Israel, the northern kingdom, is just in terrible shape. They've had bad leadership for many generations. Their entire nation was founded on being the people of God, the one true God, Yahweh, but their leadership has led them to follow other gods. And throughout the stories of the Old Testament, we see it never works out well for them when that happens. And then all of a sudden we see this king, King Ahab. He is said to have been the most evil king who did more evil than anybody before him. And now he is the king 
of Israel. In fact, he did so much evil that he actually caught the Lord's attention. I mean, think about that. And what's amazing and what's surprising is that the Lord didn't raise up an army to wipe him out. He called one man, one person to take a stand. This person was Elijah. His name simply means, my God is Yahweh. And he is probably the most prominent Old Testament prophet. But unlike the kings, we don't know his origin story. We don't know what happened when he was young or when he was growing up. He just pops on the scene and look at how his story starts. 1 Kings 17.1 says, Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe and Galid said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of my is, excuse me, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will neither do, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Now we don't know how he got there, but we see Elijah stands before the king, the one who could have him beheaded at a moment's notice, and says, The rain and the dew, they're done. And that next few years that he spoke of lasted three and a half years. Now for us, we say, that's okay, I would just get more beach time. But for them, this was devastating. In an agrarian economy, the rain was the most important aspect of their life. No rain meant total economic shutdown. And so Elijah stands before the king and says, the economy shut down, it's over until I well, until I say it's reopened. He ends up, as you can imagine, being the most wanted man in the land. But here's what's so fascinating, and here's what we're going to focus on today, that Elijah, he wasn't immune from this crisis. He was affected like everyone else. And although there was a massive crisis going on everywhere around him, he was still able to take a stand. You see, while everyone else was trying to figure out how to survive... He thrived. You see, although the world around him was spinning out of control, although his country was headed for disaster, although everybody lost their job, everybody was worried about food, everybody was worried about how they were going to survive, Elijah was stable. You see, his faith kept him grounded. And he went down in history as one of the greatest prophets who ever lived. Although his journey... It was anything but easy. Let's learn from 1 Kings 17, 1 through 6. says, Now Elijah, the Tishbite from Tishabi and Galid, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Then the, Lord, then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kurith ravine east of Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kurith valley east of the Jordan and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. So although it may not sound like, remember, the whole world around him is crashing. And so how did Elijah survive? Or how did he thrive? You see, Elijah was dependent upon God's word. Elijah allowed God's word to shape his reality. Elijah heard from the Lord as he spoke. 
You remember the story of Samuel when he was younger and God spoke to him. He didn't know what was going on. He kept asking the people around him, is this you? What's going on? But see, Elijah was at a place. He had such a relationship with the Lord that when the Lord spoke, he spoke for him. Elijah proclaimed even when it was unpopular. He had such an intimate relationship with God that he was able to trust and obey when the Lord would just speak into his life. So we see Elijah dependent upon God's word, but we also see Elijah dependent upon God's leading. He not only heard what God said, he allowed it to lead and direct his life. He had to go and stand in front of the most evil king that had ever lived and pronounce terrible news. And then after that news, God led him to the valley. God led him to a place that seemed terrible. But it was in that time God was right there with him, leading him, protecting him providing for him. See, God still moves in the valleys. And we see Elijah was dependent upon God's provision. He was led to a place where he was going to be fed by ravens. I mean, ravens. Ravens are nasty and unclean. The only people who like them are from Baltimore. I mean, and have you seen that place? You see, that's funny, and I'm allowed to say that because I was technically born in Baltimore, and I'm a Steelers fan, so it's funny. But notice, he doesn't ask God, how? How will stifle your faith faster than anything else? Notice he doesn't say, well, God, how's all this going to work? And notice he doesn't barter with God. Well, God, what about lunch? You see, God, I'm on this five-meal-a-day plan, small meals, increments. Can you arrange something like that? Notice he just trusts God. He knows that whatever whatever God provides will be enough. You see, while Elijah doesn't know everything that was going to happen, while he didn't know how it was all going to work out, he continued to depend upon God's leading, God's word, and his provisions. And it's very obvious from this story, he didn't start depending upon God in the middle of the crisis. He was already depending upon God far before the crisis. So when the crisis came, it was business as usual for Elijah. He continued to depend upon God. You see, as you know, life will have its ups and downs And the reality is we can learn far more in the dark valleys than we learn in the mountaintop experiences. Because it's it's in the valleys through our pain, through the lack of options, that we truly start to listen, that we truly start to crave God. And it's in those dark moments that he can speak to us and we can learn to depend upon him because truthfully and honestly we're out of options. And what I want you to know that what you learn in the valley, and this is very important, what you learn in the valley about depending upon God, you can take with you out of the valley. You can take that dependency and that intimacy that you get with God in those dark moments, and you can take that through the rest of your life, through the ups, through the high parts. You see, that's how you can be used by God in a major way. That's how you can stay stable when everything else is crashing around you. You see, the Apostle Paul says, I've learned to live on a little, but I've learned to live on a lot. In every situation, he was content. See, because what goes on around you has nothing to do with your relationship with God. It has nothing to do with the power of God. See, the big idea I want you to learn today is simply dependency leads to intimacy. 
Dependency leads to intimacy. And it's a cycle. The more you are dependent upon God, the more you see him come through. The more you see him come through, the closer you get. The closer you get, the more you realize you can hand over more to him. And the more you hand over, you'll see him come through, you'll grow closer. It's this cycle. The more you depend, the closer you get. Then you just keep going. You keep growing. And then all of a sudden, you're standing in front of a king proclaiming, well, it's not going to rain until I say so. You see, when the world around him was in survival mode, Elijah thrived because God hadn't changed and he was dependent upon him. Even though his world around him did. See, Elijah didn't stay there. Look at this, 1 Kings 7, 7 through 9. It says, sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. See, as I think about this, Elijah probably had a great spot set up. I bet his fire pit was perfect. I'm sure he had a hammock swinging over the water. I bet his hut was nice and clean. He even had a horseshoe pit so he could practice his game. I mean, I'm sure he had everything he needed. I believe it would have been, and I'm sure he did, it would have been a much easier on Elijah if God would have just kept the water coming. If God would have just kept sending the water down the brook, Elijah could have stayed. But it was time for Elijah to move. He didn't know what was in store. God says, it's time for you to go. And so he took the water away. But what's interesting is he sends Elijah to a new territory. He sends him outside the promised land. He sends him to foreign and unknown land. He tells him to go. You see, God was changing things. Too often, we get so comfortable with where we're at. We have everything we need. We just assume that means God's blessing us. We just assume that means it'll never change. Instead of being thankful and grateful for what we have experienced, oftentimes when change happens, we get frustrated and we get mad. Rather than realizing that God is leading us to a new place of ministry, God's leading us to a new place of service, God is leading us to greater dependency upon him. You see, dependency, as we said, leads to intimacy, which means even when God changes things, you know he loves you, you know he cares about you, you know he's just sending you to a new season. And so because Elijah was dependent, well, it says, so he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called her and asked, would you bring me a little bit of water in a jar so I may have a drink? As soon as she was going to get it, he called, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in my jar and a little olive oil in a jug. And I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. You see, God told him to move, and he did. He encountered this widow at the gate. Now, in verse 9, if you remember, it says that I have commanded or directed a widow to take care of you. 
And so evidently, Elijah knows this is her. And he sees her and says, can I have some water? In fact, can I have some cake? Can I have some bread? And she evidently, she replied, surely as your God lives. Which means she had already heard from the Lord. She already knew who Elijah's God was. Remember, he said he directed her, so she knew what she was supposed to do. But she said, as surely as your God lives, and I know I've heard from him, but I don't have any. In fact, I'm about to eat my last meal and die. You see, God had already told her, take care of him. <laughs> but she says, I can't. And evidently, she wasn't happy about it. She was confident that God existed. She evidently knew she was supposed to take care of Elijah. But she didn't know how she would feed him because she <laughs> couldn't even take care of herself. And so Elijah, I love this so much. Elijah then looks at her and invites her into an intimate relationship with God. He invites her to be totally dependent upon him. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Shh, shh, I know. Don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first, check this out, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the Lord sends rain on the land. You see, he invites her to depend upon God's word. She already heard from the Lord. He already told her to take care of him. She just didn't know how she could do it. So Elijah prompts her, hey, depend upon his leading. Go ahead and make me some food. Go ahead and take your last little bit. You know what the Lord said, so go ahead and follow through. Take that last little bit, make some bread, and bring it to me. He says, trust the Lord's provisions. He'll say the flour will never run out, the oil will never run out. And I'm sure she's going, no, a never-ending jar of oil, a never-ending jar of flour. That's impossible. So he invites her. He invites her. Depend upon him. Listen, I know this, God. Don't be afraid. Depend upon him. And this is a big ask. Remember, she's not even a follower of Yahweh. How does she know he's going to come through? Evidently, her God hasn't come through. It's not working out in their land. It's one thing to ask a follower of God to step up and have faith. But it's a completely different thing to ask a foreigner in a foreigner country to take care of you and step out on faith. And so now she's asked by this prophet, give me your last little bit of food and watch what God can do. What would you do? In the midst of a crazy time, in the midst of a depressed economy, when everyone's struggling and wondering how they can survive, I guess the better question is what are you doing? In the midst of this crisis, when everybody's trying to figure out how to survive, are you living on faith? Are you thriving? Or trying to survive? Are you depending upon God? Are you going crazy and inviting everyone else into panic mode with you? Has this crisis showed you that perhaps you've been depending on the wrong things this entire time? 
Has this crisis shown you that perhaps your faith is really good for work, but when it comes to the fear of the unknown, when it comes to getting sick, when it comes to possibly dying, have you realized your faith isn't as strong as you think it is? Or maybe, maybe has this crisis shown you that faith is probably pretty valuable? And maybe we aren't as strong as we think. In the midst of this valley, if life seems dark, if it seems hopeless, I want you to hear this. Listen, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I know what you're facing seems scary, but you don't have to be afraid. I invite you as Elijah invited her to come on, come be totally dependent upon God. I invite you to depend upon his word. See, while we might not hear from God directly like the Old Testament prophets did, we have access to the written word of God. And it's in the written word of God, it points us to the salvation found in the living word of God. That is Jesus Christ, the Lord of all. And Jesus clearly tells us, I mean, it's as clear as it possibly can be, that in this world you will have trouble So why are we surprised when we have trouble? Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In the midst of this world, we will have trouble. The Bible will clearly get you ready for that. But God's word will be an anchor for your soul. And listen, like you, I like to keep up with what's going on in the world. Every day I read one to two articles to figure out where everything's at. But listen, the media and especially social media has lost their minds. If that's all you are allowing to fill your hearts and to fill your minds, it will not lead you to a place of peace. It will lead you to a place of overwhelming fear and panic. I invite you instead to fill your life with the word of God. And when you do that, you will learn that this is not the first crisis to happen in the world. In fact, it's not going to be the last crisis in the world. And you will learn that these things never, ever catch God off guard. In fact, usually he's doing something to get the world's attention. We'll talk about that next week. I promise you won't want to miss it. But during this time, if you are anchored in God's word, you can walk boldly for him. Whether you're in the mountaintop or you're in the valley, you can be armed with the word and the truth of God, knowing who he is and who he says you are. And if you are controlled by fear, I want you to know that God wants to lead you. Jesus wants to take you to a place where your faith overwhelms your fears. Because he's in control of the entire natural order. I believe that. The Bible starts that way. 
And I believe with all my heart that God is for us. I believe he loves us. I believe he loves you. And I believe he wants you to experience an amazing life in him. But that's going to include valleys. That's going to include dark times. That's going to include times that you don't necessarily want to be in. But I promise you that's the time you could learn to trust him the most. So depend upon his word. Fill yourself with it. You see, the reason why I believe that, because I saturate myself in God's word. And all signs and all of his word point to the fact that he loves me and he cares about me. And I might not know what's going on in the world around me, but I know he's got it. So I invite you to depend upon his word. I invite you to depend upon his leading. See, now all believers have the Holy Spirit who dwells within them, which means we believe in the truth of God's word, but we are led by the Spirit of God. And when God is leading, he will take responsibility for all of the outcomes. If you feel like the whole world is on your shoulders, if you feel like the situation at work, the situation in your family, if you feel like you're, if you're bearing all that, if you're owning all of that, you're not depending upon God. You're depending upon yourself. You don't have to own that if you're following God's lead. You see, when you walk by faith, it doesn't mean you're going to have all the answers. I mean, I've learned to play in because of my business and military experience, and, and I know you have to do it. But when you live by faith, it means you don't have everything figured out. You see, Elijah didn't wait to know where he was going before he announced the drought. He didn't say, God, hey, I'll do that thing, but what's happening to me afterwards? Where am I supposed to go? What am I going to eat? God, do you know how this works out? Hold on. If there's no rain, I'm not going to eat. What about me? No, no, no. He just said, oh, go tell him. Okay. So he goes and tells him. After he tells him, then he gets his next orders. If you want to know everything that's going to happen, that's not called faith. That's called control. We are not called to live by control. We are called to live by faith, which means we have to wait for God to announce our next step and the next move. And being led by faith means you don't always know what's next. Be ready for an audible. Be ready for a change. And I know many of you have a hard time with that. I know your personality leads you to loving details and wanting to know everything about everything. And, and, and I completely understand that. But that's not how God works. Surely we can plan, but just ready for the plan to change. If God is leading, then it's not up to us to figure out the destination or the process. That's his job. It's our job just to take a step of faith. See, he told Elijah to go to the king. Then he told him to go to the ravine. Then he said to go to a foreign country. Elijah was directly in the center of God's will, and he kept changing things on him. The disciples were told to go to Jerusalem. They were told to wait for the Spirit. They go to Jerusalem. They wait for the Spirit. And you know what happens? The church blows up. Thousands of people are coming to the Christ. If you or me were going, God, this is successful. This is working. Finally, what does he do? Persecution comes, he scatters all of them, changes all their plans. Paul says that he, he kept trying to go to Rome. He planned to go to Rome many times, but he was kept from doing it. You see, we are just led step by step. When God's leading, it doesn't mean we have everything figured out. We just take it step by step because the truth is, the honest truth is, that if we knew God's total plan, chances are we wouldn't take the first step. Because many times our faith really isn't strong enough to handle his plans. We're not ready for it. 
See, the apostle Peter, he got a great taste of this. You see, he was called to follow Jesus. He was a fisherman, big burly guy. God said, come on. Jesus said, come follow me. He left his career. Now, Peter made a ton of mistakes. He did a lot of things he wasn't supposed to. He was very bold, stepped out on faith. He had this massive learning process. He would end up being the leader of the church after Jesus. Now, you would figure if Jesus would have said, hey, Peter, I'm going to call you to be the leader of this big movement, perhaps Peter would have got on board. But you see, that wasn't the final destination for Peter. He just asked Peter to take a step of faith, and he revealed more and more. You see, Peter thought he was bold, but he found out when Jesus went to the cross, Peter abandoned him. In fact, Peter lied to a little girl, this big burly guy who thought he had it all figured out, lied to a little girl, said, I don't know that man. After that, and Jesus rises from the dead, Jesus restores him. And something happens to feed Peter's faith. Because it's in that restoration moment, he knows he's the leader, he knows God forgives him. Then, after watching Jesus being crucified, Jesus tells him, Peter, you're going to be crucified for my glory. Do you think Peter would have joined if he would have known it would have led to crucifixion? But after Jesus tells Peter he's going to die by crucifixion like he did, we see Peter in the book of Acts boldly proclaiming the Lord's name. The authorities threaten to beat him, threaten to throw him in jail. Peter doesn't care. Something's happened to his faith. He was now at the place where he could actually receive God's plan. You see, most of the time, while we want to know where God is leading, we want the answers, but our faith isn't strong enough to handle it. But as our faith overwhelms our fears, as we trust in him, as we depend, which leads to intimacy, and we keep depending and it leads to intimacy, he will reveal more and more to us. Because let's be honest, what if God said, hey, I'm going to lead you that to assignment so you can die for me later. Would you take it? What if God said, hey, I'm going to bless you so financially well. Whew, you're going you're gonna to have so much money but I want you to give it all away in, the, in my name later. Would you work as hard? What if he says, I'm breaking you now so I can raise you up later? Do you think you'd learn the humility you needed to by being broke? What if he said, you're going to experience pain and tragedy through your children, and I'm going to use that so you can help thousands of other people? Would you still have kids? You may say, well, Brian, God, God won't do stuff like that. I want to encourage you to revisit my first plea to saturate yourself, depend upon God's word, because he certainly will and certainly does do those things. So just take a step of faith. You don't know where it's going to end, but just take it day by day. So I invite you to depend upon God's word, depend upon God's leading, and depend upon God's provision. You see, he is very clear, Jesus is very clear that we easily get ruled by money. When he tells us to give and be generous, it's never under the condition, when you feel like you have enough, then do it. In fact, it's when things aren't going well that our generosity stands out. You see, far too often, you or I, we are so concerned with how God's going to bless us, we're not thinking about how we can bless others. 
Perhaps the miracle that God wants to do in your life is that you can be a miracle to somebody else in need. You see, this widow had one meal left, just enough for her and her son. Was she going to bless Elijah like God asked, or was she going to keep it for herself? We wouldn't have blamed her if she just ate it herself. But she had to learn in order to receive a blessing, she had to be a blessing. And you may think, well, Brian, I don't have a lot. I mean, what can God do with a little bit? Let me tell you, God can feed 5,000 people with seemingly nothing. God can cause an oil and flour to never run out. God can cause your cup to be so overfilled and overflow, you can't handle it. I don't know what God, I mean, excuse me, we know what God can do with a little, but we also know what God can do with nothing. You see, it was out of nothing that he spoke his word and the entire world came into existence. Don't worry about what God can do with a little. God can do a whole lot with a little. The question is, what can you do with that little? You see, she knew the answer. She said, the only thing I can do with this is he didn't die. God hasn't been in my provisions. I haven't worried about it. The only thing I have left to do is he didn't die. But he invites her. He invites her to trust God with her provisions. Watch what he can do. You see, this is one area of our life that the scriptures teach us to test him, to depend upon him, to trust him. And he says, test me and see if I will not come through. You see, dependency leads to intimacy. When you're dependent upon his word, when you're dependent upon his leading, when you're dependent upon his provisions, it doesn't matter what life throws at you, you can be anchored by him. That's what was going on in Elijah's life. He was already anchored so he could boldly take a stand. But Elijah was so dependent upon the Lord that in the midst of the crisis, he could invite other people to come on. Come with me. I got this. God's got this. Come on. In the midst of everything happening, are you able to invite others? Are they able to see your life and see your reactions and see your walk to where you can say, come on, you want some of this. I'm telling you, who? he's got you. You see, if not, your story isn't over. You see, this widow was faced with a choice. She was faced with, do I depend upon God or do I do it on my own? Well, she did what Elijah asked. She went home, made a loaf, come and gave Elijah her last little bit, went back home to find out the flour never ran out. The oil never ran out. Both of them had enough food to live on during the entire drought. But those mountaintop experiences only last so long. Her son ended up ill and died. She was so furious with Elijah. She said, what have you done? Come to show me my sins and kill my son? Elijah didn't pretend to have all the answers. He took the boy and prayed to the Lord. He said, Lord, he prayed to the Lord and said, let this boy's life return to him. And amazingly, amazingly, the Lord does it. You see, while the others in the land and the promised land were supposed to be the people of God, God was here in the midst with Gentiles showing them resurrected power of God. 
She was preparing for death. But God intervened and gave her life-saving power and showed her to the resurrection. That is the gospel. It's pointing to what Jesus Christ has come to do. We all have to prepare to die. But are we ready? Because God stepped in and has done something and has a resurrection power he wants you to experience. God wants you to experience that resurrection life in Jesus Christ. Jesus has defeated death. He says, in this world, you're going to have trouble. But take heart. I've overcome it. See, the most important thing in your life is an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. And the way to grow that is by depending. Taking that first step of faith. For the widow, she heard from him. She just had to take the step of faith in the process. And maybe from you, maybe you're hearing from me, maybe you're feeling, and maybe you're saying, I don't, that thing's missing, that thing's going. Listen, take the step of faith. Cry out to him with dependence. Whether you've been following him, or whether you haven't, you can cry out, or whether you've been following him for 30 years and life isn't what it seems, cry out in dependency upon God, and he will come through. Just remember, maybe the valley, or maybe a mountaintop, but either way, when you trust him, when you depend upon his word, his leading, and his provisions, you will grow in a deeper, stronger relationship with him. Because dependency, it leads to intimacy. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we all are in a time that we've never lived in. This world is just going crazy with this virus and the job shutting down and the lockdowns happening. Lord, while none of us claim to have the answers, at least I don't, Father, I just pray that we would learn to depend upon you. That perhaps during this season you've pulled things away for us so we could gain clarity on what's important. I pray that we depend upon your word and what you say about troubles and about safety in you and security in you and how we can take a step of faith. We can try to walk on water knowing that you will get us. Even if we sink, you'll grab us. Father, I pray that you use this and that we understand and open our eyes that we can learn so much during this time. And I pray that we can take a stand like Elijah, that we will be in the position to boldly proclaim you in the midst of uncertainty. And I pray that we will have such a walk that people will see it and they will say, I want what you have. I, I want to experience that. And I pray we will be so boldly and to invite them into a relationship with Jesus Christ, who has defeated our greatest enemy, death. God, I pray that those who feel your calling, who feel you pulling them, God, I pray that they respond to you. I pray that they just depend upon Jesus for life. They confess him as Lord. Listen, if you're here and, or you're listening and you're just wondering and you're struggling and you're nervous and you're fearful, listen, give your life to Jesus. Just a simple confession of faith that you believe that he is who he says he is. That he is God wrapped in human flesh. Who came down to die for your sins. If you accept his forgiveness, he will save you. He will rescue you. Do that today if you haven't done it. Just cry out to him and ask him how to pray. He'll lead you right through it. Lord God, we thank you. Thank you for the amazing opportunity we have today.
to walk by faith. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.